The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right. Welcome. Good morning to those of you, few who are here, and those who are online. We welcome you, especially uh, this morning, the online folks, because we know most of you are out there. Uh, as you know, we we requested that uh, we have a smaller group today just because of the holiday and the increase in cases of coronavirus. So uh, we have no trouble social distancing where we all are. So we're enjoying it uh, that way and uh, being comfortable. So, all right, Brother James. Good morning. We're going to turn back again to the book of Amos, to chapter 8. Psalm 118 in verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the verse my sister sent to me this morning. So she's helping me to get started on the right track. So to Amos chapter 8. I put on my notes as a title for the overall a quote from one part of verse number two. And it says, the end has come for my people, Israel. So what we have been looking at here in the book of Amos is that God had raised up a man and called him away from his normal occupation and gave him a very heavy assignment to go and to Herod to be a messenger to carry the words that God wanted the people to hear to a people who would not want to hear them. But nonetheless, it was God's directive that they should have an opportunity to hear what thus says the Lord. To hear the words of the Lord. One of the things that we read in verse number 7 in uh, chapter 3 of Amos are these words. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. That's very interesting. Because what it does is it sets up a situation where when the judgment comes upon these people, there will be no way to say it's God's fault that we are coming into all of these problems that will come upon us in their context when the Assyrians descended upon them. And it would only be short while from this prophecy, within about 40 years. So there was to be no excuse. They had opportunity 
God raised up prophets. And we see this refrain throughout the scriptures, and particularly in the Old Testament. So many times God says, I, I sent my people to you, my prophets to you. I made certain that you had the opportunity to hear and to know what to do so that you would be in the right standing with the Holy God. One of the things that I thought about when I was looking at this is we who are believers in the Lord Jesus, those who have eternal life, we also have to deal with day-to-day things and we also have, shall I say, opportunities to get off track, to go down the wrong paths, to do wrong things. And so we appreciate that God gave us through the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13, where he says, I'm sorry, it's chapter 10 and verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not suffer you to be attempted above what you are able to endure. But he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. I remember speaking on that once, and I put a lot of emphasis on the a, the, the pronoun, not some ways necessarily, but a way, a way of escape. But the idea is, is that when we go off the track, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. God has made a provision for us that we didn't take advantage of. And this is the situation that people are in here that we're speaking about in the book of Amos and in chapter 8. And so they had all that they needed to hear. They had all that they needed to understand. They needed merely to, to obey, to heed the words of the Lord. Now, in chapter 8, we see in verses 4 through 6, that the offenses of these people, Israel, were egregious. They had done horrible things. Their minds were far from God. They were abusing the poor and the needy. The last time we read some cross-references speaking about how God views the poor and the needy and instruction as to how we then ought to view and think on those who are in those situations. 
Another thing that the people were doing is that they were, they were cheating in their business affairs. Have you ever known anyone to, to cheat at anything? Well, these people were cheating in their business affairs. They have some priorities in their lives. And they have business priorities, which is focused on getting gain. And in their way of thinking, they could get more gain by cheating, by having dishonest scales, by selling shaft with wheat, an inferior product. And they thought that by these means, they could enrich themselves better. Now, here is another one of the things they were doing. They were participating in religious ceremonies. They were going through the motions. They were participating in the rituals. We're far from God. So the principle is that the, the outward appearance, the outward thing in worship and the ceremonies and all those things should match a heart that is in favor of God and his ways and his things. We understand and know that we look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so what that means then is that these people here in Amos' time who were appearing at these ceremonies and festivals, they were there, they were present, they were doing what the community did. And it made look to the others as if everything is all good. Because that's what they were able to see. Of course, if they understood what the people were doing and why they wanted those days to be over quickly, they would understand that these people are not on the right path. That reminds us of Matthew chapter 4. And in verse number 4, it says this, and I'm pulling it out of this context, but I think you will understand how it is that I can see this application here. Now, these are the ones shown, uh, sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And we're going to liken that to the physical hearing. Hearing in the sense that I can repeat to you what I just heard. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in, choke the word. And it becomes, that word for them, unfruitful. This is what situation Amos's audience was in. They had 
opportunity to hear what God decided they needed to hear. We listen to a lot of things. We spend our time doing a lot of different kinds of things. We read a lot of different things. Sometimes we would be embarrassed to know how much time we spend on focusing on useless and detrimental negative stuff, unholy stuff compared to how much time we actually spend looking at and considering what God has said and what he wants us to have our focus on. Because, see, we are in a struggle, and we do have an adversary. We don't put everything on the adversary, but we do have one, and an active one. So that there are always presented to us all of these opportunities to focus on this and that and the other thing. And we can find ourselves not even finding time to look into what God has said. But the most important thing that we can focus on is what God has said. So that's an encouragement for all of us to say, well, what, what is it that the Lord, what is it that God wants? That's what we should be trying to understand. So the opportunities that the people have for repentance came to an exploration. It would be interesting if you had put up a sign which said, there is a golden opportunity to repent and to confess your sins and to get yourself in a right relationship with God. And then to have on there in bold print the expiration date is. So you have until this specific date to get right with God. And if you don't, it will be everlasting sorrow and horror. And, and that's where the problem is. Some people do take that kind of an idea to say, well, I have time. I don't have to be concerned about that now. I can do that later. I have other things to do now that are more important. But in Amos chapter 8 and verse 2, God says, I will not pass by them anymore. He says also there, the Lord has sworn, I will never forget any of their works. And then he goes on to talk about some of what it will be like. And how the people would experience the devastation that will come with the judgment from the Assyrians. He talks about the songs of the temple will be wailing, not rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord, but wailing. Many dead bodies everywhere. Many dead bodies thrown out in silence in verse number three of Amos 8. So the coming judgment for them was going to be severe. Not something to be trifled with, the idea of what's going to happen here. We remember that the economic and socio-political situation 
of Israel at this time was pretty good. The people were, they were living high, a lot of them. And they took that opportunity to abuse the poor and in order to be able to, to live higher, I guess. But the judgment was going to be severe. We see some of the effects listed in here. That the judgment, there will be effects regarding land and heavenly bodies and spiritual activities. In verses 8 through 10, we see those kinds of things. It's speaking about the land trembling and swelling like the Nile. The author is using language that would draw the attention and the focus to help the audience to understand what it is that he's talking about. Swelling like the Nile. The Nile River normally would flood once a year over a course of time, the flooding season. And what would happen then is, now, in the good years, the flood would come up to its proper height. Somebody said maybe it was like 21 feet. And then when it, the water receded, there would be a film left on the land, minerals that would be good for the land, fertilizer. And then that was good because they could have an abundant crop after that. But sometimes the flood would be too high. And somebody said, you know, maybe over 38 feet, and then it would just rush down and wipe out everything, flood out everything. And so then that's a bad time. But the rising and the falling. And so the imagery gives us an idea. So when we think about now, this Assyrian army is going to come marching on down. And they're going to wreak havoc upon the people. And when they get down, they're going to be these dead bodies everywhere. And they're going to be a lot of the people, and most of them, deported and taken to other lands. And there will be people from other lands coming in and settled in among them, which was a technique they used to reduce the idea or the, the ease with which rebellion could Stare up, just having mixed people there from different places. So that's what techniques they use. And so the land, trembling. It talks here about heavenly bodies. I use that to refer to where it says, will make the sun go down at noon, darken the earth in a broad daylight. So there will be something that is very, very unusual. And that also is an imagery, a technique to help us to grasp. The, the enormity of what it is that's taking place. That is not something to be considered lightly. What's going to happen? But there is something else, too. The effect on the spiritual activities. We talked about the people going to the ceremonies, the festival, the Sabbath and going through the things that they did with those. 
And in one of the prior lessons, we read some verses, talked about what those things were supposed to be like and how they were supposed to be conducted. But this here, it talks about a famine, but not a bread. A thirst, but not for water. Now, what does that remind you of? One of the things that we should think about, and let me read from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, and verse number 3, it says, So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that. This is the thing. God did that, and he says that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So now that's God's perspective. God's saying, take this perspective. This is how I want you to see things. One of the things that was interesting for me when I was growing up is that when we got to this season on the TV, I think it was the sunbeam bread, and they would have this nice, I don't know if it was a baritone or a bass voice, but they would be advertising the bread. And then you hear this voice say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Something like that. So we had, you know, so every season, and that was a highlight, you know, we, we can enjoy, I enjoyed that. That was a good thing. Now, I don't know how long it's been. I, I don't, well, I, 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 I really don't know what's on TV now enough. I don't see it enough to know what's on there. But I don't think that's there now. So that's one of the things from a year, some years before that we could, we could still use now. <laughs> but anyway, so that same phrase, though, you find it in Matthew, you find it in Luke. I'm going to read the one from Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of Man, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we read in Amos that there will come a time when there will be a famine for the word of God, that's a big deal. That's important. The word of God is important. A lot of people think they can live just fine without it. They don't need it. They think they're above that. But that's not what our Bibles tell us. And for them, it's not true. They just think it is. 
Now, in verse 13, we see the words, in that day. And in that day, we saw that word in verse 9, and we saw in the days coming in verse number 11. And we talked some about that. But what we understand is that the day that is being spoken about here is not the, what we would call the, the end time final, the eschaton, <laughs> but a day that was close for them. And that that day was the day, a reference to the Assyrians coming in and devastating uh, Israel, the northern kingdom. And we know that Judah was spared at that time, at least Jerusalem was spared at that time. And they then were given more opportunities to repent and respond. Somebody has said, can we learn from observing what other people do? Can we learn to observe certain mistakes by seeing what somebody else did and what caused to happen to them? That's called the deterrent effect. People argue about that with regard to one of our penalties that are in some of our jurisdictions. They say, oh, there's no deterrent effect. But that's only one part of the story, whether or not there's a deterrent effect. But it's good when a person can learn from somebody else's mistake. Sometimes people call people aside and say, I've been down that path. I know it's down there. Let me help you so that you don't have to go through what I went through to learn if you will do that. So in that day, in verse 13, there will be young and vibrant people who won't be able to endure. They won't be invincible anymore. I used to be invincible when I was a young man. Not literally, but if you saw some of the things that I did risk taking and, and that, you may have thought, oh, he thinks he's invincible. But a lot of young people have that kind of an attitude. But with that day that was coming to them, it didn't matter how young, strong, or vigorous it will be too much for them. We find that in chapter, in, in uh, Amos, in verse 13. In that day, it says here, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Now, false worship. The false worshipers will never rise 
again. Here's another thing here. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria as your God lives, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is really referring to idolatry. Idolatry was a big problem for the Israelites. God had been very clear to them to tell them that they were going to be going into a land and that the people were going to have idolatrous practices and they're going to be worshiping all kinds of idols. And God said, don't do that. Don't be seeking out how they worshiped and do what they were doing but rather destroy all of that. The people heard it. God told them what to do. But also God gave them an opportunity. Opportunity to choose what they were going to do. He didn't force them to forsake the idol. But he said don't. Because if you do, it's going to be bad for you, very bad. And so the people heard that. And they chose. And they became idol worshipers. And that's what we read about here. Swear by the sin of Samaria. Now something, well, sin and the word idea of guilt. Well, but guilt can't be dealt with by going to an idol and praying and worshiping an idol. All the way guilt can be dealt with really is through the blood, shed blood of Christ. Otherwise, the guilt remains. And so one has to come to him. The Lord Jesus Christ, God's provision the one that God gave. So where I said that there was a way of escape from the temptations that come, there is a way of escape from eternal damnation. A way. Contrary to what many in the world are teaching, Jesus himself said these words, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except by me. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. God has one way. That way is Jesus. Through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and then we were reading the first chapter of Acts, the men of Galilee, after he has ascended, they're looking the angel said, why are you staring at, at him who is gone? This same Jesus, in like manner as he is gone, he's coming again. He's coming again. So things are not done until God says, 
they are done. But the ex- there is an expiration date. It's just that God doesn't tell people in advance. But for the Assyrian invasion that was coming, while God didn't give an expiration date explicitly, he gave it in generalities. That should have been enough to get the people's attention. And so this about Samaria and Dan and Beersheba, it shows that the people were way off involved in idol worship from the top of the land to the bottom. Jeroboam I has set up these alternate sites for worship. And he put one in the northern land, north of the land of Dan, put one in the southern part. And the ironic thing about it is, is this, that what he was doing was to duplicate the true worship that was happening in Jerusalem, down in Judah, the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam, the ones first, he, he told why he was doing it. Because he didn't want the people to go to the proper place for true worship. For what reason? Well, because they might decide that that's really where they ought to be and give support to Rehoboam. And that would be bad for him. Alternative worship. And so he put in the cows, golden cows and all that. And so they had idolatrous worship. Well, some use the word syncretism. They, were, they had some of the things that they should have had, but they had other things that were idolatrous as a part of it. And that could never be acceptable to God. But that's what they were doing. And so that's what we are seeing here in, De- in Amos chapter 8. That the people continued on in their path But it wasn't because they had no opportunity. I think sometimes we can think, and I'm thinking more on mundane, more mundane things now, that we didn't have an opportunity. But sometimes the issue is really not that we didn't have an opportunity but that we did something else instead of take advantage of it. These people had opportunities. There are lots of them over many years, and many prophets. And as we read in chapter 7, in the section, last part of chapter 7, verses 10 to 17, that Amaziah confronted Amos, and he said, we don't want you here. Never prophesy again here in Bethel. That's the place now set aside for the king and his activities. The place that was supposed to be for God. He said, no, no. We don't want God's word to be heard in here. This is for the king. That just shows how far off the track people can go. And they were there. So that's all I have to say this today. We'll come back and we'll get into chapter 9 the next time. 
The first half of chapter 9 is going to talk about the judgment activities again. But then in the middle of chapter 9, we're going to be able to see that the program of God for Israel is not done yet. And that there is a future. And we see details there about a, a future, a coming day. Now that will bring great hope to all of the people who are faithful. Great hope. It's God's program. It's not ours. My time has expired. Let's pray briefly. Our Father in heaven, we are of a thankful heart that you chose to love us and to give your son for us that we through him could be made right with the holy God. And we just ask for your help day by day so that we can press on in ways that are pleasing in your sight. In the name of Christ, we ask for thanks. Amen.